my family and I first moved to Phoenix, our first house uh, was not in the city, it was in the foothills of Ahwatukee in the mountains. And uh, pretty quickly living in this house, we realized we had some unwelcome visitors. And we realized that because they left us some little treats, some little surprises under our kitchen sink. In the cabinet, getting out a trash bag, I began to see some of this uh, residue and little treat surprises that these unwelcome visitors had left us. And I realized we have a problem. And so I went to Home Depot and I got some mouse traps. And I didn't just like fling out the mouse traps. Like uh, I researched this thing and I knew, like, hey, you know, cheese, that's kind of like junior varsity, peanut butter is varsity. Anybody know that's where it's at? Like, you want to catch a mouse, you, you put peanut butter on it. So I did that and I read up on it. And, and it was tough. Let me just tell you, these, these mice, what I thought were mice, were messing with me. Like, I'd go back to check the trap, and the trap was there, no mouse was there, but the peanut butter was gone. So we're going to talk about the enemy today? Come on, people. I mean, they were messing with your pastor, and I'm like, okay, we got to call in help. Like, I need reinforcements in this fight. And so I called a company, and they came out, and they said, hey, you don't just have uh, mice, you have rats. And they had started to, to chew the back of my dishwasher and the wire. They took out my dishwasher, people. And they said, you got rats, and we need some bigger traps and more peanut butter. And we also need to go up to your roof where they're, they're actually getting in through some cracks. And we got to seal those cracks. And let me just tell you, over the course of weeks, we won. They did not have the last word. We won. We won the fight. But let me just, we did move into the city, okay? That was just too much. <laughs> but we won that fight. And here's how we won it is we knew who we were fighting up against. Here's the reality is all of us were doing this series on temptation, week two of temptation and bold as a lion. All of us are in this fight of temptation. James chapter one says, when you are tempted, not if. And the reality is many of us are not overcoming the temptation, winning in the fight because we don't even know who we're fighting against. We don't know who we're fighting against and how he works. And we're just getting tagged right and left by lies and deceit and pride and gossip and lust. And some of you, you didn't sing out that you're free in Christ and that you're a child of God because you don't feel that way today. And it's primarily because you're not overcoming temptation. It has overcome you. And you don't even know what you're up against. And so today, the message is entitled, Overcoming the Enemy. We want to see who are we fighting against, how does he work, and how can we overcome it in Christ. And so I'm going to give you some things to write down, some points, some questions to look at. Uh, hopefully you got this study journal as you walked in last week. If you didn't, this week we gave you a pen as well. Hopefully you got that and you can take notes and let's see how we fight this enemy together. Here's our first question as you take notes in your fancy journals, because I know all of you are. First question is this, who is the enemy? Who is the enemy? Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said it this way, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. C.S. Lewis, what he does right there is he brings out the realities of how we typically deal with our enemy with Satan. That we can go to one end of the spectrum or the other. That, that some of us, we can be obsessed with Satan. And we can blame every inconvenience on Satan. So you get a flat tire, not today, devil. Right? 
You, you, you had a hard morning getting to church this morning. Your kids were not obeying. They didn't get right in the car with their Bible. Like, who does that? Let's be honest, right? But you had a hard morning. You're just like, not today, Satan. And we kind of blame every inconvenience is about Satan, and some of us do that, and we're kind of obsessed with Satan. Some of us, we blame every bad behavior that we exhibit on Satan. And we just say, well, hey, the reason I lusted, the reason I gossiped is like the devil made me do it. And some of us, if we're just honest about the enemy, that's the spectrum, that's the end of the spectrum that we are on. We're obsessed with Satan. But I think for most of us, especially in 2021, we're not on that end of the spectrum. We're on the end of the spectrum that just ignores Satan. That just even right now, maybe some of you are responding in this way of like, Tim, really, Satan? That's what we're talking about? I mean, with all of our enlightenment, all of our education, we're talking about a guy with a scrunched up face and red tights and a pitchfork? Like, that's where we're going today? And some of you just, you just ignore Satan. I was watching an interview with a, a house church movement leader in Iran. If you don't know, the gospel and the church is exploding in Iran, but so is persecution. And this guy was being interviewed, and they couldn't even show his face, and his voice was distorted, but he was talking about, hey, as the gospel explodes, persecution also is exploding, and, and my friends and family are being arrested, and they're dying for their faith. And let me just tell you, side note, as we talk about persecution in the United States, and we relate it to wearing a mask in church or a mask at our work, that's not persecution, we need to open up our eyes and see across the world, people are dying for their faith, being arrested for their faith. And this guy was just talking about, hey, that's his daily reality. And he was asked about the West and asked about how is it different from America. And he said this, and I think it was so profound and true for us. He said, America and the church in the West, they're under some sort of satanic lullaby. And there's no arresting, there's no dying. But there just seems to be a satanic lullaby. That Satan's just brought these blankets of comfort and consumerism. And just say, hey, just stay right there. There's no priority and urgency of Jesus and his mission. There's no enemy. There's no Satan. It is 2021. You're more educated than that. Hey, just, just take a nap. Even right now. Hey, you don't have to listen to this guy yell at you. You don't have to take notes in your journal. Just go to lunch. Just watch football. It'll all be over soon. Shh. Just take a nap. And I believe for many of us in the American church, we have fallen asleep at the wheel in the Christian life. And that's exactly where Satan wants you. You don't even see them. And so as we talk about how do we overcome temptation, we got to know who our enemy is and know how the Bible describes him and acknowledge that reality if we're to overcome him. And so the Bible helps us. The Bible's going to say, wake up. Wake up. I don't want to scare you, but I want to sober you. This is your enemy. This is who you are fighting against. And so here's some ways the Bible describes our enemy and describes Satan. The first thing is he is described as the evil one. Multiple times in the New Testament, he's seen as the evil one. John 17, 15 is one of those. Jesus prays that God the Father would protect us from the evil one. Now, some of you might think, well, Tim, that's kind of obvious. Like, Satan equals evil. Like, I got that. And, but many of our culture and many of us, we don't live that way. How many movies have you seen where Satan is equated with the fun one, not the evil one? 
I mean, you're having a party in hell, right? I mean, it's like Satan is like equivalent to what? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're like, that sounds fun. Not evil. And sometimes we equate the evil one with the fun one. Sometimes instead of the evil one, we say he's the edgy one. How many of you in a conversation, you just said, hey, I just want to play devil's advocate for a moment. He's so edgy, always antagonizing. And the Bible's going to say, no, 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 he's not the fun one. He's not the edgy one. He is the evil one. He's pure evil. And so as you do look across our world right now and you see things like disease and division and racism and death and you think, what is happening? Where is this coming from? There's an evil one. There's Satan and sin and it's disrupting everything and and he wants to destroy everything. He's not a fun one. He's not the edgy one. And we need to see that. We need to wake up to the fact that he is the evil one. And that's what scripture says. The next thing is he's our adversary. The Hebrew name Satan literally means adversary. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so as we picture Satan as a scrunched up face with red tights and a pitchfork. No, no, no. 1 Peter 5.8 says that's not who he is. He's not puny. He's a predator. He's a lion. He's seeking someone to devour. And scripture will tell us he's an adversary. He'll also tell us He's a liar and a murderer. John 8, 44, Jesus says it very bluntly. He's the murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. Notice how extreme Jesus is. He doesn't mince words. He says he's not just a murderer. He's the murderer from the beginning. He was the first murderer. He's not just a liar. He's the father of all lies. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a sinner. 1 John 3.8 says it this way, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Antony of Egypt, a monk in the fourth century church known as the father of all monks, he describes Satan as the friend of sin. Now, some of you hear he's a sinner, like Satan's a sinner. As I heard that, as I studied that and even typed it out this week, I thought, ah, that doesn't quite capture who Satan is. Like, we're sinners. But here's the reality, here's why the Bible reminds us he's a sinner from the beginning is because it doesn't reduce, it doesn't minimize our view of Satan. It reveals how much we minimize sin. See, last week we talked about our temptations and as we give in to them and as they become sin, that's not just about actions. That's about allegiance. Who do you trust? What are you trusting in? Do you trust God and his ways and his words or do you trust someone or something else? That that's sin, and it's serious, and it's more serious than we often treat it. It aligns us. It's not just about actions. It's not just a little white lie. It's not just a little bit of lust that nobody knows about. It's not just a little bit of gossip because you like to speak your mind. No, when you sin that way, you're aligning your allegiance is then to the ultimate sinner who is Satan. Some of us, we need to take sin a little bit more seriously by seeing Satan's a sinner. If we're a sinner, we're aligning. If we sin, we're aligning with him. And that's not a place we want to be. Who is the enemy? He's a sinner. The last thing, he's a deceiver. Revelation 12.9 says that he's the deceiver of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 11.14, the apostle Paul says, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Satan doesn't look how you think he would look. 
Like Proverbs 5 says that lips drip honey, but their feet lead to death. That's how Satan works. He doesn't come at you directly. He comes at you deceptively. It will look good. It will look attractive. It will look like the one thing, if you give into it, it will set you free. It will give you life, but in the end, it leads to bondage and death. He's a deceiver. Do you know who you're fighting against? Do you know who your enemy is? This is who the Bible says it is. This is who God's trying to wake you up today. Some of you have fallen asleep at the, at the will of the Christian life, and God's trying to wake you up, not scare you, but sober you. This is your enemy. And, and here's the reality. I think as I look at my life and as I look at the, the Christian church, a lot of times we're fighting against the wrong enemy. I see a lot of friendly fire against God and against God's people. That we're not fighting against the enemy. We're not banded together in 2021 against the enemy. We are fighting against one another. We are fighting against God. How many times have, have you seen or maybe you felt yourself like, well, God, I wouldn't give in to this lust if you would just give me a spouse. It's your fault. I mean, God, I wouldn't have to, to get greedy and cling to all these possessions if you would just give me that promotion. I mean, God, I wouldn't have to gossip or slander about people if they were just nicer. Like it's, there, it's the church, they're hypocrites. It's the pro that's the problem. God, you're the problem. If you never gave me this family that gave me this trauma, I wouldn't be so jacked up. And I see a lot of times in the face of temptation and sin, there's friendly fire not fighting against the enemy. Who are you fighting against? Where is your time and effort and energy going towards as you fight? You're in the fight. Who are, you? are you fighting the right enemy? Are you fighting the evil one? Are you fighting the deceiver? Are you fighting against God, if you're honest, and God's people? You're not going to win in the fight that way. you got to know who you're really up against and fight him. So the first question, who is the enemy? The second question how does the enemy work? we got to see how he works so we can spot it, so we can overcome it, right? Ephesians 6, 11 tells us how he works. He says, it says, put on the whole armor of God, Paul says, that you may be able, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Remember, the great deceiver. How does the devil work? How does Satan work? Not directly, deceptively. He comes around the back door. There's schemes. Revelation 12.10 says he accuses you day and night. So how does the enemy work? Schemes and accusations. It's a temptation mixed with deception that leads to accusation. That's how we see it work at the very beginning. The first attack of the enemy in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, there's a tree that they're not supposed to eat of. Everything else they can eat of. All of God's creation they can enjoy. The fullness of joy is available with God. And he says, but don't eat of this tree. Satan comes along and there's temptation and there's deception. What does Satan say? He says, can you really trust God? Hey, you know what, actually... If you eat of this tree, temptation with deception, you're going to become like God. He doesn't want that for you. He's, he's not a good God. He's withholding good from you. And there's temptation and there's deception. Adam and Eve give in to that and they sin. And what happens? There's accusation. But the first time they realize that they're what? 
They're naked. They begin to hide from God. And we see shame enter the world. How does Satan work? How does the enemy work? Temptation mixed in some deception that leads to accusation. And let me just tell you, it wasn't just that way in the beginning. It is that way today in your life. Here's how it can work. Some of you feel this right now in our lives in 2021. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and fear. And you have some anxiety and fear in life. And you're looking around our world and and it doesn't look like God is in control. And it looks like everything is unpredictable. And in that anxiety and fear, you think about, can I really trust God? Is God really going to work all this out? And maybe you think, I'm not so sure about that. And so instead of being with the people of God and being with God and on Sunday morning, you just say, well, I'm just going to stay at home today. Because you know what, there's a lot of crazy in the world and, and I need to get control of it. And, and if I don't get control of it, it's all going to be stripped away. Like job, family, success, like he's coming for my kids. If I don't get control of this, something bad's going to happen and we start getting out the spreadsheets and we start making our plans and we start distancing ourselves from everybody else. Anybody hear me today? And we start isolating ourselves in that anxiety and in that fear because Satan starts to bring that temptation mixed with deception that's to say, hey, you have to take control. God's not in control. Hey, if you will just worry about this more, if you will just read a few more articles, if you will just dwell on the news, that's going to help you, and you will have control over this thing. <laughs> that temptation mixed with deception eventually leads to accusation. Because eventually you're at home and you're isolated and you're depressed. In that moment, Satan comes to you and says, Man, of, course, of course you can't control this. this is, you're kind of weird. I mean, who does spreadsheets like this all you, you don't even know how to socially interact with people anymore. Anybody? Hey, it would just be easier. That was so awkward meeting somebody else and being around community. Just it's easier to stay at home. Nobody would like you if they found out all about you. Hey, just scroll Instagram and see how everybody else has the perfect life and just wallow in your imperfect life. How's it work? Temptation mixed with deception that leads to accusation. And he has you. Right where he wants you. For some of you, it's not anxiety and fear. For some of you, it's a coldness and a conflict in your marriage. Things just aren't aren't the way they used to be in your marriage. And there's no pursuit of one another. And the thought comes to your mind, I don't even think my spouse loves me. What happens? There's temptation mixed with deception. Satan says, you know what? Yeah, she doesn't love you. She's never loved you. She loved the thought of you, but she doesn't love you. And, and you know what? She's always pointing these things out that are wrong about you because that's, that's what she does. She doesn't love you. And there's temptation and deception. And so you give in to that and you think, well, hey, maybe this girl at the gym, I mean, she looks perfect. I, I don't know any of her faults. Maybe I'll just leave this and go to this. It seems like that's going to bring me happiness. Temptation mixed with deception. Or maybe it's not the girl at the gym. Maybe it's the naked girl online. You think, hey, hey, I feel free in this moment. I feel empowered in this moment. She would never speak to me the way this girl speaks to me that I, I sleep in bed with every night. Temptation mixed with deception, you give in to that. 
and you commit sexual sin. And maybe you go full on with it and it blows up your whole family in adultery. Or maybe it's just that you're thriving in a fantasy world, but you are void of all confidence and impact in the real world. It's temptation, deception, and then it's accusation. And I believe this happens all the time, specifically with sexual sin. In that moment, after you failed, after you clicked here, after you did that thing with that other person, in that moment, Satan comes along, brings accusation, and he doesn't just say, hey, God's disappointed in you. No, he said, God is despised by the very sight of you. you. I can't believe you did that. You been there? You are so dirty. Don't show up in church. You don't belong there. All those people are dressed nice. They have perfect lives. Look at you. You're disgusting. And how does Satan do it? Temptation mixed with deception that leads to accusation. How many of you, if you're honest, you would just say, I'm wrapped up in that. And you didn't even know it. So the Bible wants to, wants to wake you up. Some of you have been lulled to sleep in your sin and temptation. You don't know who you're fighting against. You don't know how he's working, but he is working, and he's got you where he wants you. And the Bible wants to tell you, hey, hey, there's another way. That in the midst of temptation, God's working, amen? In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan accuses. What does God do? He doesn't accuse. He pursues. What does he say to Adam and Eve? Where are you? Come out of your shame. Come out of your hiding. I still, in the midst of your temptation, in the midst of your sin, I want a relationship with you. I'm not done with you yet. And that's maybe why God has brought you here today. To remind you, this is the enemy. This is how he works. But God is still working even in the midst of that. And you need to be alert to that. So as we overcome temptation, we got to realize how does the enemy work, but also how does God work? How can he overcome that temptation for you? How do you not have to live in that cycle? That's our last question. How do we overcome the enemy? Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Therefore, there's, there's a battle. There's spiritual forces against you. You do have the enemy. He works in deceptive and scheming ways. Therefore, here's what we do. We take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. I love it. He just keeps saying, stand, stand, stand. Because in temptation, many of us have laid down. To stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, this is how you fight the temptations you're experiencing. This is how, once you know your enemy, you know how he works, you begin to understand how does God work? Notice, as we are in a battle, there's an imagery of armor. And it's not our armor. Whose armor is it? 
the armor of God. That this isn't a, a, an encouragement to, to white knuckle this thing and try to find some better resources on your own or fight harder in your own strength. No, it's a challenge to cling to the armor of God, to put on what's already been given to you in Christ Jesus. That you're in a battle. You need some armor. You need some weapons. And some of you are getting beat up, tagged right and left by lust and lies and pride and gossip and cold religion. And and you're getting beat up, tagged over and over because you're on a battlefield with no armor or weapons. And maybe best case scenario, you're like, well, I got this water pistol. And I come to church. Listen. In the midst of the fight that you were in against the enemy that we described, you need more than the water pistol of attending a church service. You need more than that. And God gives you more than that. Look at it with me. We're going to group these together. Again, if you take notes, these would be good things to write down. We see a breastplate of righteousness that God gives you to fight temptation. A helmet of salvation, a shield of faith. I group those together because they're, they're all dealing with salvation to overcome accusation. Your identity to help fight your activity. And that's where it starts, with faith, with righteousness, with salvation. I love the story of Martin Luther. I love the honesty of Martin Luther, the great theologian. As he talked about his sin, he talked about private moments where Satan would just accuse him and accuse him and accuse him and list out all his sins. And there was a moment where Martin Luther responded back to the enemy and said, you know what, you forgot some. There's four things on that list. But you know what Romans 8 says, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ. That's what we need to do. Are you working from your identity as you fight the activity of sin in your life? Are you working from a a place of salvation in the midst of that accusation? Are you believing and agreeing the lies that the enemy tells you of who you are? That's what gets so many of us. It's not just that you lied, you're a liar. It's not just that you lusted, you're a pervert. It's not just that you're Prideful sometimes, like you're a Pharisee. That's who you are. And the enemy has you when you don't just hear that, but you start to agree with that. And you forget your identity in Christ. So the first part of your armor is, this is who, you're a child of God. You're no longer a slave to sin, amen? You have the righteousness of Christ. If you are in Christ, God looks at you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his sinless son. That's your identity that helps you fight the activity of sin in your life. Do you know that? Are you fighting with that armor? Do you have that armor? Are you armoring up in your identity every single day? Or do you leave it at home? The next set. Of things, or the next thing is shoes of readiness that God has given us. Shoes of readiness given to us by the gospel. Uh, this means that you understand God's great purpose for your life, that you're an ambassador of Christ, that whatever that job you have is, whatever that profession that you have, this is your purpose to proclaim Christ. God hasn't just saved you, He sent you. This is your purpose. So when you don't get the promotion, or you don't get the grade you want, or you don't get the spouse, and you think, I'm a loser, in that moment, Satan tempts you you to despair. No, you say, I, I have a greater purpose than this. That can't take me out. 
I have a greater purpose. I'm called to greater things. So if I lose my job, if I get the promotion, I'm still pursuing the righteousness of Christ. I have the greatest purpose on this earth. Are you fighting with that? We see that there's a belt of truth and a sword of the spirit. The reality and temptation is you are surrounded by lies. He's a great deceiver and he's lying to you about who you are, about who God is. And so you have to fight that. You have the sword of the spirit, the word of truth, this belt. I love that imagery of the belt. It's the closest thing to you. Because lies are all around you, you need the belt of truth to be the closest thing to you. That before you pick up your phone, you pick up the Bible. Because you need it to fight. If you look at Jesus' temptation in Luke chapter 4, every time he's tempted, there are three main times. Every single time he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Listen, that was Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. How did he fight temptation? With the word of God. How do we need to fight temptation? With the word of God. If Jesus, the son of God, needed the word of God, how much more do we need the word of God? And some of you need to dust off your sword. Some of you need to open up your sword. And here, I I know it's difficult. I know the Bible's 66 books, 40 plus authors. It can be hard to understand. Yeah, because it's the infinite word of God. It's worth taking some time to read that. To turn off all the articles you read on CNN and Fox News. You can read. I know you can read. Read the word of God. I remember this summer, my wife and I were in Maine because I was officiating a wedding for a couple in our church. And I don't know if you've ever been to Maine. I never have, and I don't know that I would have if I wasn't officiating a wedding. But man, they, people in Maine love them some Maine. They had shirts that their slogan was Maine, the way life should be. Come on, right? And, and to be honest, there were some aspects of that. I was like, man, this is nice. Like, we stayed right uh, near a cove, and there was the ocean. It was very beautiful. And, and the first day we were there, my wife was like, hey, let's take advantage of this. This is a great place. Let's go canoeing. And so me and my wife took our three kids, and we all got into the canoe, and we tried to launch out into the water, and we all fell into the water. (laughs) And finally, we got back in, and we made it canoeing, but it was one of those times, and parents, you can testify to this, like, you're like, okay, well, that was fun, but we're not doing that again. And my wife said, no, 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 we're going to do that every single day while we're here. Like, we are not going to let this temptation, this canoe, overcome us. Like, we're going to do it every single morning we're here. And guess what? By the end of those six days, we canoed every single morning. My wife, like, gets determined. We canoed every single morning with our three kids, so much so that the last day, we were just rowing out there, like, all confident, like a boss. And people were looking at us, and, like, half of them were like, get it, guys. You go. And, like, the other half were like, you, you need to come back. Like, y'all got little kids. You're in the ocean. Like, But that's how we did it because we kept doing it every day. Some of you, you started a a year-long Bible reading plan and you got to Leviticus and it was talking about skinning a goat and you're like, okay, okay, done with that. And you never got back in the canoe. You never opened your Bible again. You never tried to listen to an audio Bible. You never got a a devotional. You never got got to go to an equip night where you got around some other people and and got to hear some Q&A and and specific message from the Bible for your life stage. And you never went to a community group and you never saw the, the people of God with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, opening up, have you experienced this? Opening you up to truths that you didn't know before by yourself. You didn't try it again. 
and you took your belt of truth and you threw it away. So your pants are falling down and temptation is overcoming you. You need to try it again. You need to dust it off. Get that sword out. Sharpen it up. This is how you fight temptation. This is the armor God has given you. Are you using it? The last thing is he says, we have a prayer for the battle that we pray at all times. I love this. All times, with all prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. It's almost like Paul is saying, you should pray. You should pray. Do you know why we pray? Because when you pray, especially in the midst of temptation, you are talking to God. You have an enemy. We described who he is. We described how he works. Listen to how God works. Colossians chapter 2. God, listen, God disarms the rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame. When you pray, that's who you're tapping into. The one who put these rulers and authorities, the one who puts the enemy, Satan, the evil one, the deceiver, he puts him to open shame. He shames them. That's, who you t- that's why you pray. It's not a symbolic thing. It's not a churchy thing to do. You're tapping into the power of God who disarmed Satan, who puts him to open shame. Romans 16, 20, here's who you're talking to when you pray. You're talking to the God of peace who will soon crush Satan. Why do we pray at all times? Because that's who we're talking to. I love that, the God of peace who also crushes Satan. He's gonna crush him because he's the God of peace. He wants peace in your life so much. He loves you so much that he will crush anything that's out to harm you and destroy you. Why do you pray? Why do we come to an altar? Last Sunday, it was so cool to see that. Why do so many people come to the altar and pray? Because they're talking to that God. Because they're putting on that armor. Because they're getting those weapons. And that lie and that lust and that greed and that religious pride, it starts to get reduced and minimized in the sight of a powerful God like that. Amen? And some of you, you're not tapping into that God. You're trying to fight this battle on your own. And God brought you here today, not by accident, but by appointment, to say, armor up in my armor. And start to fight. As you face temptation, start to fight it. What is that for you? What temptation has its grip on you so tight that you're not overcoming it, it has overcome you? You know what it is. How have you gotten wrapped up into the the works of the enemy of just temptation and deception and accusation? You're like, Tim, that's not ancient history. That's my present reality. What does that look like for you? And how is God in this moment saying, armor up. I've given you this identity. I've given you these weapons to fight. Will you take hold of them? Will you wake up? Will you wake up and be sober to the reality of the fight that you're in so you can know who you're up against, so you can fight and you can overcome? We have an opportunity right now to take hold of his armor. I'm going to invite you to respond today and to begin to fight temptation with the armor of God. We can do that in a few ways. We're going to sing songs. We're going to declare that Jesus has overcome the darkness. But we're also going to invite you to come. We're going to open up the altar just like we did last week. We're going to have men and women that are here that would love nothing more than to pray with you, to tap into the God of power who crushes Satan.
to invite you to receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the helmet of salvation for the very first time. To invite you as a believer just to say, hey, I am a believer, I am free in Christ, but my life does not look like it. It looks like enslavement and I need that to change. This cycle of temptation and deception and accusation, that's all I know. And that you would just come down front and ask some people empowered by the Spirit of God and just say, man, I need to change that in my life. Now's the time to respond to that. Will you respond? Father in heaven, God, I thank you for these truths in the midst of lies, these truths in the midst of temptation, God, that you are victorious over the enemy. And we can experience that victory in Jesus as we take hold of your armor, as we understand who we're fighting against. And God, I just know there's some men and women here who would just, if they were honest, just say, man, I've come to church and I've gone through the motions, but I don't actually have the helmet of salvation. That I'm out on the battlefield trying to do this thing on my own. I don't have the spirit of God. I never fully put my trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection for me. And God, I just pray if that, that person is in here or watching online, they would just stop listening to me and start talking to you. And they would give their sin to you, their temptation to you, and also their life to you. And God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, they'd have the courage to come down front and tell somebody so we can help them walk with you and be anchored in you. And God, I pray for the believers in this room who would just say, no, I already have that, but I'm not acting like I have this armor. I'm not acting like I have this strength. And this temptation's been overcoming me for five months, for five years, for 15 years. And I've been trying to do it by myself and I can't. And God, they would, through a private cry or a public shout or a walking an aisle and coming to talk to a person, just be honest so they can fight well, so they can overcome in the name of Jesus. God, that you would help us to respond. That's why you have us here. That's what this moment is about. Help us to have the courage to respond. In the name of Jesus, God, I just find any evil, any works of the enemy, his servants, his effects, that in this moment would try to lie to us and deceive us and say, no, just sit right there. Just take a nap. Just go back to sleep. We just bind that in the name of Jesus by the power of your spirit. Help us to experience and walk out of here with the freedom that you want us to have in Jesus Christ over our temptation. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.